Spoiler alert, have you ever seen the movie Karate Kid, 1984, Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita? No, yes, maybe. Well, let me break it down for you. This kid is getting bullied in school and he meets an old guy who offers to teach him martial arts. The kid agrees. The old guy makes him paint fences and wash cars. If you've seen it, then you'll remember, wax on, wax off. The kid is angry because he doesn't understand why he's painting fences and washing cars when he's supposed to be learning martial arts. He doesn't understand it until he gets into a fight. And then he realizes that all of this fence painting and car washing has developed the muscle movements and the muscle memory he needs to defend himself. Some of us are going through some things right now and you're angry and you're frustrated because you don't know why. Please know that nothing you go through is ever wasted and the reason for your struggle is about to become clear. Welcome to the edge folks. Let's get sharp. And uh, <laughs> yeah, here we go. So a couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity to minister um, for my parents. Um, that message was titled Priority One. OK, so God must be the priority in your life. All else comes second. The relationship with the father should be the foundation of everything that you do. I work hard at my job. Why? Because I love God and everything I do is under, is unto him. The relationship that I have with my wife, I pour my all into it. I give my all into it because I love God. And God says that he won't even hear my prayers if me and her got beef. Um, I care for the people of God. I love them. I, I do what I can for them. I, I, I'm committed to my purpose. I utilize my gifts, my talents, and my abilities to serve the kingdom and to serve the people of God. Why? Because God loves them. And he said, if you love me, feed my sheep, care for the flock. We talked about the book of Hosea. And uh, as the Holy Spirit did to me, he defined Hosea as a love story, because even though it was judgment in the midst of it, God still wants us, even though we cheat on him, even though we lie to him, even though we embarrass him, he still loves us. He still wants to be with us because God's love is way, way deeper than man's love. And another point that we brought up is God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his heart. He wants you to know his thoughts. He wants you to know how he feels. And we proved that point by when God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute, because when Hosea spoke those words, he spoke them from a place of understanding. He spoke them from a place that nobody else would really get and understand had you not gone through that process and had you not gone through the things that he had gone through. He he found this woman. He loved her. He cleaned her up. He married her. He had children with her. And she went back to the streets and she cheated on him again. And she went back to being a prostitute and, and loving other men and doing what she was doing. And God instructed Hosea, go get her again bring her back again, clean her up again and marry her and make you and make her your wife again, because that's the type of God that we serve, a God that loves stronger than any man could ever love. Last week, when I was before you, um, that message was titled Talk That Talk. And some of the points that we brought up there was we're grown now. And now that we are grown, we put those childish things aside. We embrace who we are as individuals. We embrace who God has created us to be. We are going to quit making excuses and just do what God called us to do. We are going to use our voice. Use my voice is probably what some of you wrote down to make it personal. God put a sound on the inside of you that is unique and is for such a time as this. Don't run from it but run towards it and utilize it for his glory. And the last point that we made last week was me too. tell your story. No doubts, no fear, no shame. God did something for you. And that story could very much save somebody else's life. So please embrace that story. And so now uh, <laughs> I come before you today with a message entitled for such a time 
as this. Um, I'm going to reach out to, to my lovely wife, Desi. Um, she already has Romans uh, chapter 8 pulled up. I'm going to reach out to my beautiful sister, Rebecca. I'm going to need you to grab um, Esther chapter 1. And I want you to stay in Esther because we're going to go to chapter 4 later on. And Dad, uh, a Bishop Apostle Marvin, um, I need I need you in Genesis, Genesis chapter twelve, please. And Mommy, I'm gonna need you to get Genesis chapter twenty. All right, I'm a, I'm gonna need some help today because <laughs> man, it's the Holy Spirit is just he's he's amazing. Okay. But at the same time, as he is amazing, he is annoying too, and <laughs> and and he will. So for 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 a week, I've had a direction that I knew I was going to go in, and I knew I was going to preach, and I knew I was going to do this and do that. Nine o'clock this morning, he said, "No, you're not. <laughs> we going to do something else." And then for those of us who are in leadership, we know that we had an appointment at 10. So, so I worked what I could until then. And then I was on that call with that, with, um, with, uh, uh, Sam Nadler, which was phenomenal. I learned a lot and then God kind of tried to work out the rest of it. So we're going to do this together and it's going to be phenomenal because again, it's not me, it's the Holy spirit and he's going to do what he needs to do. So you are called for such a time as this Desi. I need you to go ahead with Romans eight and 18. It says, consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that, that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Mm -hmm. Keep going. For the creation was subjected to frustration mm. and not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom of, of the children of God. Mm. Keep going. Okay. We know that the world, that the whole creation has been go, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth mm -hmm. right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the, and the, and the redemption of our bodies. Keep on one more. Okay. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Mm. Who hopes for what they, for what he already has? Wow. <laughs> but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Wow. That, that brings a new revelation to that, uh, to, to Hebrews. Um, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, then what are you hoping for? If it's right in front of you, then 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 what do you need faith for? So faith is for um, and our uh, hope is the evidence of things hoped for or faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Y'all know what I'm trying to say, because obviously I can't get it right. But that is a new revelation for me. But but uh, <laughs> but just that passage alone right there where the the very earth is groaning waiting for the sons of god to be revealed waiting for god's people to stand up and take their rightful rightful position and rightful place in this world so that we can usher in the kingdom and usher in the returning of christ to to the earth okay so you were created for such a time as this and so as we go back over the last few weeks of uh of messages God wants you to understand how he feels. And then God wants you to talk that talk. God wants you to, to be motivated and to utilize your gifts and to step into your purpose for such a time as this. Rebecca, go ahead to um, Esther chapter four. We're going to do that first. Esther chapter four, verses 13 through 14. New King James Version, um, Esther 4.13 says, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do you think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace mm. any more than all the other Jews? 
For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Okay, press pause. Now, um, for those of us who are familiar with the story of Esther, there was one dude who had beef with another dude. I promise you the entire thing started with one guy named Haman, okay? He was an official in the court of the king. I believe it was Xerxes was the king at, at the time. Um, and he had all these rights. He had all these privileges. He was a, 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 a big a big person. He was kind of a big deal, as some people say. <clears throat> and so when he was in the presence of most people, they honored him and respected him as such, except for this one dude, this dude named Mordecai. Mordecai, I could see Mordecai kind of looking at him, looking him up and down like, y'all know what I'm saying, I can't, you know what I'm saying, like looking at him like, like whatever, you just a regular dude like everybody else, you bleed red like everybody else, you got to go boo-boo just like everybody else, so why do I need to respect you any differently? So Haman had beef with Mordecai to the point that he wanted to see Mordecai dead. But not just Mordecai. My dude went to the point where he said, since Mordecai don't respect me, I want him and all of, all of his people wiped out. So he took that request to the king and said, I, I will pay you. I'm going to put a certain amount of money into the king's treasury if you pass a law that says that you're going to kill all of the people of Israel. And so because of the money or, or whatever um, the issue was because of the money and, and the prestige, the king honored his request in a year from that date. They th I think it was March 7th that they said it was as Jermaine's birthday. And I know my parents birthday or, uh, anniversary is the following day. So that's why those dates jumped out. But March 7th. He said, this is what we're going to do. We are going to basically take up arms and wipe out all the Jews. Now, we're going to go into Esther chapter one in just a second here. But um, basically, the king had married a Jewish wife, and that was Esther. And so Esther was in a position where she could have saved the entire people of Israel. And so that's where this conversation is coming from. Mordecai happened to be her her uncle or I believe I believe it was her uncle. Um, it's it was been a few days since I've been in that book, but I believe it was her uncle. And so Mordecai was reaching out to his uh, niece and saying, "Hey, listen, we need some help, and you are in a strategic position." Mm. That's God. You are in a strategic position where you can deliver the entire people of Israel. So please, you didn't even know why you were here. You didn't even know why you received this call. You didn't even know why you were put in this position. Could it be that you are here for such a time as this? Could it be that you were promoted to this position? Could it be that you quit one job and started another one? Could it be that you moved from one place to another for such a time as this? So we're going to have to do a little bit of teaching. I like preaching, but I know it's 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 a part of my purpose to teach as well. And um, so we're going to do a little bit of teaching. So um, these are just observations that I've been seeing recently as I've been studying and digging into the word. And so one of these things is I need everybody to write this down is that God speaks to leaders. OK, God speaks to leaders. Now, notice I just said God speaks to leaders. I didn't say God speaks to godly leaders. I didn't say God speaks to Christian leaders. I didn't say God speaks to uh, uh, religious leaders. I said he speaks to leaders. And there's evidence of this in the word. Um, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, I think, Mom, you have that for me? Genesis chapter 10 or, or Dad? Dad has that. Dad has that. Genesis chapter 12, forgive me, verse 10. Uh, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Mm -hmm. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he saw, he said to Sarah, his wife, Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram 
into Egypt, and the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. This girl was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, stop right there, right there. So first of all, that's another revelation because we understand that um, later on in Exodus, God delivers the people of Israel in the exact same way, right? So now we're prophesying a little bit. So um, this situation with Abram specifically, um, Pharaoh gives him all of these uh, cattle and herd. He gives them basically riches. And then once he finds out the whole situation with Sarai, he sends them on their way. And so we understand that in the case of Moses, um, the people of Israel, when they left Egypt, they were sent out by Pharaoh after plagues, after he had, um, after plagues and such like that. But they also left with the riches of Egypt. They gave them stuff before they got up out of there. But let's go back to this specific situation where, um, who told Pharaoh that Sarai was his wife? Who told Pharaoh that Sarai was his wife? It was it was God. God. Alex. God. <laughs> it was God, God right? So so because Abraham told him that's my sister. You read the rest of, of what my dad just read, and then Pharaoh comes back and says, "Why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife?" It never says that Abram revealed the truth. It never says that Sarah said to, hey, I'm this dude's wife. Maybe that's why all of this stuff is going on. So somehow, some way, he received the revelation that I'm not supposed to touch this woman. This woman is this man's wife. So that is the that's the point that I'm trying to make is that God spoke to this Pharaoh and we know he wasn't. Uh, a man of, of God or at least of Jewish faith, because if we discuss Pharaohs of Egypt, we understand that these pharaohs, these men were set up to believe that they were literally gods. They believed that they were literally gods. Any pharaoh that has sat on the throne in Egypt believed that they were a god. So, of course, if you believe you're a god, how can you worship or serve God? Doesn't make sense. So this wasn't a Christian leader. This wasn't a Jewish leader that God was speaking to. This was specifically a pharaoh. Um, Genesis chapter 20. I think mom has that. I don't have the verse. I, okay, it's the whole thing. Okay, I got it. I okay, got it. it's the okay. whole thing. We're not going to read okay. the whole thing, but go ahead and get started. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerur. Now, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, <laughs> she is my sister. This dude is a trip, ain't he? <laughs> King of Gerur. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sit and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech. Who came to him? Who came to him? By night. God. All right. All right. By night. And said to him, indeed, you are a dead man. Come on. Because of a woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> stop. Wait a second. So now this dude who we don't see, it doesn't say he's a Christian. It doesn't say he's a follower of the Jewish belief. He doesn't say that he serves God. And we know that um, there is um, Melchizedek, who's already been established in the book of Genesis as a king who serves the Most High. He was a king and a priest of the Most High. So there are people that are out there that are worshiping God. That are, there's not just Abraham, but it does not say specifically that Abimelech is one of these people. Go ahead and mom, continue. Go ahead and continue, right, Mom. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, Lord, would you say a, a righteous slay a righteous nation also? Did he not? Did he not say to me, <laughs> "She is my sister," and she, even 
Come on. An innocence of my hand, I have done this. And God said to him, in a dream, yes, I know that you, <laughs> you did this thing in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Amen. Okay. So Go ahead, okay, Mom. So Read one more, and then that's it. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, mm -hmm. called all of his servants, and told all of these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid come on so so that's the second instance first of all why is abraham always lying i don't know um <laughs> that's something we got to deal with because that's another revelation that i'm trying to work on because abraham lied um isaac lied jacob we all know jacob was just just the worst kind of person and for some reason god still saw fit to bless these people and put them in the lineage of christ and not just bless them but bless the entire world through them so that's another re revelation i'm still studying on that one and trying to work that out but i'm like lord why are you, why are you blessing these jerks these guys are not like like they are just but anyway God is God. I'm just a man. I'm trying to get the revelation. But this is a second instance. This is a different king where God is communicating with this person in leadership. The two things that these two have in common is that they both are making decisions that are concerning the people of God. So God speaks to leaders, period. And I'm not done. There's also um, there's multiple pharaohs in um, the situation with Joseph later on in Genesis. Um, who had that dream that Joseph interpreted? That was Pharaoh who had the dream of the seven fatted calves and the seven thin calves and the seven fatted corn in the seven thin corn. That was Pharaoh who had that dream that was going that there was going to be a famine in the land. Now, he didn't understand what it meant. It took Joseph for it to, to interpret it. But God gave him that dream. Um uh, Abimelech, Nebuchadnezzar, um, had a dream. Uh, that was the dream of the end times. My dad talks about that all the time with the, with the, with the, with the statue, with the, with the, what is the, the head of gold in the, in the feet of, uh, clay and, and iron. But that was Nebuchadnezzar who, and we know he was a heathen, all the way heathen, okay? He was building statues of himself and everything else. He was the one who threw it, th who threw the, uh, three Hebrew boys into, um, into the fiery furnace for not bowing down to his statue. So we know he was a heathen king, but God was still communicating with him. And so, um, we have this theme that God is communicating with leaders who have who are making decisions that affect the people of God. Um, second point that I need you guys to write down is God puts people in position. Now we're going to go into Esther chapter one. Um, Becky, is that, that was you, right? Okay. Yeah. Esther chapter one. Start from the top. Start from the top. Let's go. Now it came to pass in the days of Asherah, this was Asherah who reigned over 120 years, 27, excuse me, providences from East India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Asherah, is it supposed to say sir? Thank you. Say it again, Dad. Ahasuerus. sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the Siddal, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces, being before him when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days 180 days in all and when these days were completed the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in shushan the siddle from great to small in the courts of the guardian of the king's palace there were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars. And the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pigment of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. 
In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. Come on. For so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Mm. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King um, Asher. I'm so used to saying Xerxes. Okay. <clears throat> Ten. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was married with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bitsa, Harbona, Bixa, Abixa, Zethar, and Carcass, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of king, of the king, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials for she was beautiful to behold but queen vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs therefore the king was furious and his anger burned within him all right stop right there stop right there okay now um that's just giving you a little history lesson that's giving some context to the situation so this dude was happy he had all of these kingdoms so he had a party and they was all getting drunk okay twisted for schnookered toasted they was drunk drunk and so in his drunkenness he calls for the queen to come to him naked okay let's be clear wear the crown <laughs> but the crown because he wanted all of these hit he, he was drunk all of his officials were drunk and he wanted to see how he wanted them to see how beautiful his wife was bring her out here and bring her out here with the crown on and so of course her being sober at the time and also being a queen said no okay so and what happens at the end of the situation was basically him and all the men in the court decide that we're going to depose or set queen vashti aside because she's being disrespectful but she had every right to kind of you know question the um <laughs> the the morality or or the situation like what, what do you need me for you having this big party for seven days and all of these dudes in here and now you want me to come through and not okay all right cool so but anyway she made that decision she was deposed and in the midst of this deposition the king has to find a new wife OK, and so he sends out word and um, basically Esther is one of the young ladies chosen to be a part of uh, to be a part of his harem. And so she has to go through this process of being cleaned and, and dipped in oils. And she has to go through this uh, many, many months long process before she can be presented to the king. And then once she is presented to the king, the king is so satisfied with her that he chooses her to be the next queen. Okay, so God puts people in position. This was the process that God used to put Esther and Mordecai in position because God is God is not surprised by stuff. God is not nothing sneaks up on him. Nothing has ever occurred to him. God knew that he had chosen to design the people of God so that he could eventually bring the Messiah into the world. And so he made this decision way back with Abraham. And so from Abraham all the way up to Yeshua's being born, God had orchestrated things to make sure that it would happen. As my wife likes to say, he was playing the long game. You know what I'm saying? Like He made the decision four, five hundred years ago. And all of this time, he's going through this process of putting things in order and setting things straight and, and, and playing chess sometimes with the enemy because the enemy had a certain understanding of what was coming to because he was there in the garden at the beginning. And so he knows that there's going to be a seed that comes that crushes his head he knows that there's going to be somebody that's going to come that is going to deliver humankind from his hand take back all the authority that he has earned and gotten and he's going to be deposed and he's going to be a defeated foe toward the end so now he's trying to do what he can to stop and prevent the will of god from coming to pass but he's he don't got that type of power okay he don't so uh, uh if you've read the end of the book and i'm sure many of us have we know how this is going to go. And so he understands how it's going to go too. So his job as the enemy is simply to be a hindrance, is simply to be in our way, is simply to 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 try to to try to fight to get as much power, to confuse as much and to twist as much and to mess up as much as he possibly can because he knows at the end of this things he's not going to win. Anyway, back to my point. God puts people in position. 
he chose Esther and Mordecai to be in position for when this king started making stupid decisions so that he could prevent the wiping out of the people of God. In, um, uh, I'm sorry, in Nebuchadnezzar's situation, Daniel was set up and put in position right next to the king who God was going to be communicating with to lead him and guide him in the right path to interpret dreams and to make sure the people of God were secure, even in their exile. God is doing this even in their exile because the only reason Nebuchadnezzar came into play was because Israel had messed up and God said, you know what? I'm going to judge you. I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. I'm going to tear down the temple. I'm going to put all of y'all in exile. But even in your exile, I'm going to still be looking out for you. So he raised up Daniel. He raised up the three Hebrew boys and they were advisors in the king's court. He did the same thing with Joseph and um, the situation with Pharaoh in um in um, the, the days of the famine, Joseph had to go through this whole long process to get to where he was so that he could deliver the people of Israel once again. At that time, it was only 75 of them. And um, he brought Israel and his sons and his whole family into Egypt and cared for them and took care of them. Um, and then so this also brings another revelation as to why Paul was so adamant and so vehement about getting into the presence of Caesar. Because maybe Paul had this understanding, and this is something that um, uh, Brother Sam brought up earlier, is that Paul was like really, really educated when it came to um, the, the scripture and the word. So maybe Paul had this understanding that God communicates with leaders. God talks to leaders and especially with leaders that are making decisions that concern the people of God. So now if this is the new direction that God wants to go in for us to honor Yeshua as the as the Messiah and to move the kingdom towards this way, then somebody needs to get into the face and get into a place where um, they are next to or influencing the person who's in charge. And that happened to be Caesar. So every time they bought uh, Paul into court every time they were imprisoning him every time they were accusing him he would always um, uh, go after the higher like if he was in, in in the court of a governor he would ask to go to somebody who was hired he was trying to get to Caesar and it seems like he was trying to get to Caesar because God is going to talk to Caesar and he needs to get this message to Caesar because if Caesar gets saved, if Caesar comes to the saving knowledge of Yeshua HaMashiach, if Caesar ever gets filled with the Holy Ghost, if Caesar ever gets to a place where he is serving God, then every decision that he makes is going to be able to shift the world into the kingdom of God. So Paul's um, understanding and efforts were to get to Caesar. I'm teaching. I want to preach so bad, but apparently we needed to do some teaching today. Okay. So, and again, this is the third point. I brought it up twice already, but God plays the long game. If we look at just the story of Joseph, Joseph had these dreams when he was a teenager. Okay. He had the dreams that, uh, the, of the stars and the sun and the moon bowing down to him of his brothers coming with their bushels and the bushels bow down to his bushel. So there's this, this dream that he has that he is basically going to be in charge of at least his family that he, that he can see. And so God takes Joseph through this process of being hated by his brothers, being thrown into a pit and left for dead, being pulled from the pit and sold into slavery, being a slave and a manager in a man's house, then being accused, lied on and being thrown into prison and then ascending from the bottom of the prison to again being in that position of management in the prison and then being removed from the prison and then being again being put in a position of management in Pharaoh's court and basically who was at the, at that point the leader and the ruler of the known world so God plays the long game he does the same thing with Moses who for 40 years or for I don't know I don't know how, I don't I'm sorry I got to study it out but I'm not sure how long he was in Egypt before he murdered the guy and ran away but I know he was out there for at least until he was 40 and then he came back and he received the call at 40 to go back to Egypt and deliver the people of God. And then it took right. them another 40 okay. years. Go ahead. All right. Um, 40 years uh, in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and then 40 years of ministry in the wilderness. Come on. So that's 120 years. 
So God took him through an 80 year process to get him to a place where he was in a position to be able to lead the people of God. So obviously there were some lessons that these people needed to learn. There was some life that they needed to, that they needed to live and there was some character that they needed to develop in order for them to get to where they were going to be. Now here's the, 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 the nasty part about God. The crazy part about God is that he has this understanding that we as human beings don't have. Okay. So here's the, here's the picture that God showed me. It was, it was my mom. It was grandma, grandma Joyce. So, um, basically when she was young, I don't, um, and, and again, this is just a visualization, a, a vision, a picture that, that God showed me. And she's working through life and God basically takes this weight and puts it around her shoulders. And as a young woman, she has to carry this weight and she's upset and she's crying and she wants God to take it off of her, but he doesn't. And so she carries it until she's 25. She carries it until she's 30. She carries it until she's 40. And then at 40, it ain't, it ain't so heavy so more. And so she's not asking God to remove it from her. She's just carrying it and she's just operating in life. Like this is just the way life is. And she's got this, this, this yoke on her neck, but she's carrying it and she's carrying it with confidence. Eventually God takes the yoke from her and he takes it and she doesn't even realize it's gone because she's operated with it for so long that she's just had to deal with it. Now, later on in life, Aunt Lisa comes to her and she's got this same yoke on her shoulders and, 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 and she's crying and she's hurting and she's like, mommy, why is it like this? And grandma, <laughs> she chuckles and said, baby, is that it? And then she sits her down and she guides her and she walks her through that thing. And then eventually Aunt Lisa is able to just throw it off of her shoulders. And when she throws it off, then she's released and launched into this ministry that she has and she's killing the game and she's doing everything that she, that she knows how to do. So God in his infinite wisdom, knew that there was a call on Lisa's life and God and in his infinite wisdom knew that Lisa was going to enter some hardship and Lisa was going to have this weight on her shoulders. And he in his infinite wisdom knows that Lisa is not strong enough to carry this. So somebody is going to have to teach her how to, to burden this load or to carry this load. So he gave the load to grandma and she had to carry it for 30, 40 years and she carried it for 30, 40 years. And now she has this understanding that this is how you, uh, uh, this is how you spread your feet. This is how you square your shoulders. This is how you operate when this thing is on your shoulders. So something that she carried for 40 years, God had the wisdom and understanding that to know that if Lisa don't know how to carry this, it's going to kill her. And that word and that purpose is never going to come out of her. So how would you deal with your life and deal with your issues if you knew that that the problems and the issues and the concerns that you're facing right now are going to deliver future generations of your family future generations of the kingdom future generations of i how, how would you carry that that depression how would you carry the anxiety that you, how would you carry the, the, the things that you deal with on a regular basis if you knew that my kids, kids, kids are going to be delivered by the example that I set? When I say God is playing the long game, God is playing the long game. I understand that the anointing and, 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 and the vision that I have today did not come from me. There was something that grandmama had to deal with. There was something that her mama had to deal with. There was something that her mama had to deal with. And all of the their prayers and all of their fasting and all of the things that they have gone through produced me out of Marvin and Carolyn. And now I have this call and I have this thing on my life that I don't always fully understand, that I always don't want to embrace, that I always don't want to step into, that I always don't want to do on a regular basis, but I know I got it honest and I know it's for, for a time such as this. My God on today. So... <laughs> So, okay. So, and that also brings the revelation that your gift will make room for you and put you in front of great men. Okay. And one revelation that I got from sister debt a long time ago, she brought that same scripture and she said, yes, the gift is going to make room for you. Yes. It's going to get you into the presence of these great men. But once you get there, you have to perform. 
Okay, you have to do what it is that God called you to do. God is not bringing you into the presence of these great men for no reason. He's bringing you into the presence of these great men, these great women, these leaders, because there's something that needs to be accomplished. There is a purpose that needs to go forth. There is a voice or a sound that needs to be heard. And God has anointed you to do it. Okay, and this is not just a message for me. This is a message for everybody under the sound of my voice. This is a message for anybody that might hear it later on in life. This is for a message for the world. This is a message for every person of faith, for every person of God, for every person who uh, uh, is embracing their purpose and really falling in love with the Lord right now and really saying to themselves, God, not my will, but thine be done in my life. This is a message for you that one day you are going to be called upon. One day you are going to be tapped and it might not be a, a, a large or a huge ministry. It might be 12 folk that you're called to. It might be five folk that you're called to influence and impact. And those people that are impacted by you are going to be the next generation to save and change the world. I'm just asking you to do what it is that you're called to do. That's it. That's all. Nothing less, nothing more. So one of these revelations that God just shared with me, the sower and the seed, the sower sowed. That's it. If you read that story, the sower sowed. That's it. That when he told the parable, he said the sower sowed some seed. And then that's the last time he mentioned the sower. He said some of the seed fell over here. Some of the seed fell over here. Some of the seed fell over here. When it hit here, this happened to the seed. When it hit here, this happened to the seed. When it hit here, here's where it produced 30, 60, 100 food. He'll never mention the sower again. So my, I'm asking you, <laughs> and this is... Whew, this is something that I surely shared with me last week. Like it's, it's not your job. The, uh, 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 one waters, uh, uh, I, I, I can't even think of the passage now, but one, we sow one waters. Go ahead. My God on today. I'm glad. I'm glad somebody reads the word on this call. Won't he do it? Yes. <laughs> one plants, one waters. God gives the increase. I'm asking you to do your part. That's it. Okay. So calm down, relax. And this is something, oh, this is a word for me. Relax, <laughs> chill for a minute and just do what it is that you're called to do. God, listen, even, even Jesus, uh, he understood his call. If you really look at the situation, his purpose was to impact 12 people. That's it. That's it. When he had 120, he had 120 disciples when he sent them out two by two. And when they came back from all this ministry, they were preaching, teaching, uh, casting out demons, healing the sick. When he came back, he said, you're not really saved until you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then all of them left. And he did that on purpose because he understood that my job is to impact these 12 people. If you look at the numbers, just look at the numbers. OK, <laughs> look at the numbers. Okay, take my time. I hear you, Aunt Shirley. Look at the numbers, okay? So if we look at the two instances where they say Jesus um, fed the multitude, just those two. One instance, he fed the 5,000, 5, which was men and their families. So it was 5,000 men, and they didn't number the women. They didn't number the children. There was another instance where they said he fed 5,000, 5,000 men and their families. And again, they mentioned the men. They did not number the women. They did not number the children. So those just those two numbers together is 9,000. If we are courteous and say that there was just a few families there, let's call it 10,000. Okay. So that's a thousand women and children sprinkled in there at some point. I'm being conservative with those numbers. Okay. So Jesus preached to these people. He fed these people. So it's not just that they heard him talk. They were witness to a miracle too. This dude took five fish, five loaves, or he took just whatever bread they have, and he made it enough to feed thousands of people. So they heard him preach, and they witnessed the miracle. Now, let's say Jesus did this twice in his ministry. It was only three years. Let's say he did this twice. So now we're talking about 20,000 people, all right? And if you look at the scripture, there were many times where he said he spoke to a large crowd. He spoke to a multitude. So there is at least 20,000 people, let's say, that he preached to. OK, so now this dude does all of these miracles. 
these 20,000 people that he preached to at one occasion or another, I'm confident that they're still hearing, hey, did you hear what happened last week? Jesus healed uh, a leper. Hey, did you hear what happened yesterday? Jesus delivered, uh, brought somebody back from the dead. Hey, did you hear Jesus did this? Did you hear Jesus did that? So they're still hearing about the good works of Christ, all right? Then this man dies. He is murdered, okay? Very publicly. So I'm confident that these same 20,000 people hear about this man dying and then he comes back to life so i'm confident that these same twenty thousand people are hearing that this man comes back to life but now when the ministry is ready to get started and this is probably one of the things brother sam was talking about but when the ministry it's time for us to start ministry it's time for us jesus is now gone and now it's time for us to actually go out and do this work that he taught us how to do how many people were in the upper room one hundred and twenty. Twenty thousand. One hundred and twenty. So we can't be concerned about the numbers. And this is this is a word for me. OK, but if the shoe fits, go on and put it on. We can't be concerned about the numbers. OK, so for me, my podcast is it's been downloaded 10,000 times. That is a number that I never thought would happen ever, ever. Okay. <laughs> ever. Okay. <laughs> so I'm looking at it and I'm upset when, when I post something on Instagram or I post something on, on social media and it gets 20 likes. I started thinking about it like this. If there were 20 people sitting in my living room, listening to me talk, how excited would I be? I'd be fired up and I would preach the house down. Honestly, if 20 people showed up to my little two bedroom apartment, oh, I would kill it for sure. So stop focusing so much on the numbers. Another revelation. I know this don't even say it. Moving on. Another revelation. Do what you call to do. Doubt your doubts. Okay. Um, and this is specifically about Thomas. Okay. Now, Thomas doubted <laughs> when all the rest of the disciples said, listen, Jesus is alive and he's here. And Thomas said, you know what? I'm not going to believe that until I touch his hands, until I touch his side. All of y'all are lying. <laughs> Let God be true. Let every man be lie. All of y'all are full of it. And what happened in that situation, I think it was a week later, Jesus showed up and he looked Thomas in his face and he says, all right, touch me right here. Touch me right here. And then he says, blessed are those who believe without sin. Now, everybody rags on Thomas for this. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Here's the observation that I made. Thomas had doubts and Jesus showed up. Thomas had doubts. He brought them to God and God showed up. So I need everybody that's that's struggling with something. And I know I'm a part of it. I need you to take your concerns and your problems to the Lord and watch God show up. Watch him show up. Watch him answer your prayers. Watch him answer your doubts. Watch him answer every question that you got. Watch him do it. That's what I need you to do. And on that note, I think I'm going to wrap it up. Um, God is God. <laughs> I'm just a person. I hope you were blessed by this. I hope this meant something to you. I hope it goes down deep on the inside of you. And I'm going to say this one more thing. The, the, the mark of a good teacher is not how many students are in the class, but how many students graduate if that makes sense. So as a teacher, <laughs> as a teacher, I don't just want you to, to give me kudos and high fives and tell me how awesome I am. I want you to change. I want you to hear the words that I'm saying. I want you to write them down. And then I want you to take them to God and take, and take them to your quiet time and say, Holy Ghost, what are you trying to say to me in the midst of this? And how can I apply it to my life today and make the adjustments for the rest of my life? That is the goal for me. That is the goal for 
any teacher, any pastor, any preacher, anybody who's going to pour out their gift to somebody else is for them to change. It's for them to get the opportunity to do whatever it is that they are supposed to do. So that is my goal. That is my prayer for all of you is that you all would hear these words and just really be changed by them and really start applying these things to your life and really just open up and be the person, the human being that God created you to be so that you impact this world, so that you impact this world for the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I love every single one of y'all. Can you just pray that God would just seal that word on our hearts? Mm. We can't lose this. Mm. Father, I thank you and I praise you for, for um, good counselors and wisdom and, and people that are around me to encourage me. And so, Father, we take that word that Aunt Shirley just spoke. And, Father, we say... It is done in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we solidify that thing right now in the name of Jesus. All of this wisdom that the Holy Spirit just poured through me, okay? I'm not taking not one ounce of credit because God, you said you was going to have your way this morning and I believe that's exactly what you did. So Father, solidify this word in these people's hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Help them to understand that they are here for such a time as this. Help them to understand that they are world changers. Help them to understand that the weights and the burdens that they carry are not just for them, but they are for their children, their children's children, and the world at large. Help my father, Marvin, and my mother, Carolyn, to understand that the ministry and the weight that they carry will affect this planet in the name of Jesus, not just Norristown, not just Pennsylvania, not just America, but the world at large. In the name of Jesus, you were prepared and created for such a time as this. Your forefathers prayed and, and fasted and tarried for you two to be born into this world so that you two could birth and push out this ministry. And this ministry will have worldwide implications. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What is up, good people? This is Mike Savage, and I wanted to come on and personally thank you for listening to my podcast. Do me a favor. If you enjoyed it, give it five stars. If you know somebody who needs to hear this message, share it with them. If you want to keep up with my content, follow me on Instagram at Razor's Edge underscore podcast and on Facebook at Savage Lifestyle Solutions. If you want to reach me or book me to speak, reach out to me by my email address, michaelsavagespeaks at gmail.com. I love you and I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever thought to yourself, there used to be no such thing as a podcast. There used to be no such thing as a cell phone. There used to be no such thing as a computer or a car. Somebody thought of these things and then worked really hard to make them into things. And now we all get to enjoy them. All of the stuff that I just mentioned started as a thought in somebody's head. My question to you is, what are you thinking about? And how are you going to turn those thoughts that you're thinking into things that we can tangibly touch and everybody can enjoy? Remember, you are not a mistake. You, my friend, are a solution. I love you and I'll see you on the next one.